today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Beloved, he was crucified once and for all for our sin. Never need to be crucified again. It is a completed work. He is now a risen Savior, and he's not coming again, babe in a manger, as a suffering servant, as that perfect sacrifice for man. No, when he comes again, he's coming as the reigning king. He's coming as a judge of the whole world. So my question is, is have you made preparation? Have you made preparation? Number one, do you know him? Do you know that your sin is forgiven? Do you know that if, and, or not if, but when he comes, you'll be ready for his coming? For many, the Christmas season evokes thoughts and images in our minds of a cuddly baby wrapped in a blanket, sleeping soundly in a manger. The nativity scene is one that is familiar to us. Today, Pastor David reminds us that though Jesus came as a little baby in a manger, he will not return this way. Jesus will return to judge the world for unrighteousness. And it's only for a single act of unrighteousness, the unrighteous act of not accepting his free gift of salvation and atonement. Well, let's join Pastor David with part one of today's message. Have you made preparations? Well, here in the Southwest, we have a lot of traditions around Christmas. And one of those traditions for Christmas in a lot of families is the making of tamales, okay? Uh, if you've not been in the Southwest too long, you, you may not know that, but there's a lot of families. In fact, let me see the hands of some. In your families, you make tamales during the year, okay? Can I get your phone numbers and... Uh, <laughs> What a great time. Uh, you, I'm, where I'm usually recipients of some of those tamales, and they're always, always great. I mean, it's amazing, the, the whole process, and it is a process in making tamales, amen? There's got to be a lot of preparation uh, in it, and a lot of times in making of tamales, they get a whole uh, assembly line going with this. But even before the assembly line starts, there's got to be the preparation. The meat has to be prepared. The masa has to be prepared. The corn husks themselves. All of this has to be prepared. And again, we, we look at that in, in the midst of all of those things. We need to realize that good things usually take a time of preparation. Whatever it is in life, if it's going to be a good thing, there's usually a process and there's usually a time of preparation. Well, the preparation for the coming of Messiah actually began taking place, uh, man, in eternity past, but then we saw it in a physical sense right at the very beginning of humanity, right there in the garden where God had to slay an animal to cover uh, Adam and Eve because of their sin. An animal had to be slain or sacrificed at that point of time. And then throughout the history of man, we've seen God's redemptive plan being prepared. 
bit by bit as he revealed more and more again of his plan and of his purposes. And then about 700 years uh, prior to the birth of Christ, as prophet after prophet is declared and spoken, about 700 years prior to Jesus, Isaiah wrote. Isaiah wrote uh, probably some of the most precise and some of the most uh, uh, detailed prophecies in regarding to the first advent of Christ as well as his second advent. And you know, the second advent speaks of his coming again. And we understand, we know, we believe, we hope, we pray that there is that second coming of Christ. The word of God speaks about it. And in the book of Isaiah, we get some of the best details on it. And although that book was written primarily for a a, a present judgment that was coming against the people of God because of their rebellion, because they had turned their back on God. Also, in the midst of that judgment that Isaiah declares, he also gives this future promise. The fact that Messiah was going to come, that Messiah was going to come and rescue or visit the people of God. God himself would appear to them as Emmanuel, God with us. Now, in the midst of judgment and condemnation, God also gives the hope of redemption. We find it all throughout Isaiah. Isaiah can be divided up into three primary groups when we look at it in chapters 1 through chapter 39. It's an overall declaration of the sin of the people, the sin of both kingdoms, the northern kingdom Israel as well as the southern kingdom Judah. And it was a call of repentance to the people of God. And it warned them about their coming captivity. And both of them were taken away, the northern kingdom by the Assyrians, the southern kingdom by the Babylonians. We saw, we understand historically, that is already taken place. And yet it's also in that section, those first few chapters, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, that we also see this promise or several promises, several prophecies of the first advent, the first coming of Messiah. Then in chapters 40 through 55, we uh, again, we, we see that uh, there is a promise of their return from exile, that God would bring his people back into the land. Again, it's a solid declaration that God keeps his promises, and he's willing to restore those who call upon him. And just as God had taken through the Babylonians the southern kingdom, Judah, into captivity, into Babylonian captivity, his promise declared, I would bring you back again. And sure enough, within 70 years, the people started coming back to the land of Judah, God keeping his promises, God desiring to restore his people back to their place. It's in this section also that we read about the suffering servant Messiah, the one that gives himself as a sacrifice for the sin of the nation, for the, for the people, and actually for the whole world. In chapters uh, 52 and 53, so clearly laid out the suffering servant Messiah. And then the final section, chapters 56 to 66, that's the hope of eternity future, the The fact that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And as a matter of fact, in Isaiah 65, verse 17, we read the words that are also echoed by the apostle Peter in his epistle. In Isaiah 65, 17, Isaiah writes, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, for the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. So again, judgment, restoration, 
and then a future hope. We see that all within Isaiah. This week's Advent reading was in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. I invite you to turn there with me, if you would. The book of Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, one of the, the, the first of the major prophets, Isaiah, looking at chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Now, we're not going to read all of these at this point in time. We read them earlier. But again, we look at these verses... And we see that these verses speak of the hope and the restoration that Messiah is going to bring. And we can easily see not all of that took place during his first advent. There was no way that it took place. When he came as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, we can clearly see, as Isaiah shows here, that he came forth as a rod or a stem from Jesse. He was part of Jesse's family, Jesse, the father of King David. He was part of the lineage of David. We see that in the, again, the, 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 the lineage that we find in Matthew and in Luke. He was part of the family of Jesse, the family line of Jesse. We see that there's no doubt that the Spirit of the Lord rested upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of Jehovah. There's no doubt that his delight was in the fear of Jehovah. He delighted to do the Father's will. And we see that throughout his earthly ministry. He did whatever the Father commanded him to do. He didn't come in his own direction. No, he came under the direction of the Father. But then we get to verse 4 there in Isaiah 11. Then he goes on to speak of the fact that at his coming... He was going to judge the poor with righteousness. At his coming, he would decide with equity for the meek of the earth. At his coming, catch this, he would strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. At his coming, the breath of his lips will slay the wicked. That didn't happen during his time on earth. That didn't happen at the first advent. That's not how he came, not during his first advent. He didn't come as the judge. He, did, he, he came as that suffering servant. He came as the Savior. And even Jesus himself declares to us in John three seventeen that again, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's with his first coming. Beloved, in his second coming, he does come as judge. So there's obviously got to be the second coming. There's got to be that second advent. And that's what we need to be looking forward to with anticipation. My question to you this morning, are you in preparation and are you working out the preparation for his second coming? It's so easy to get comfortable where we're at. Oh, Jesus paid it all all to him I owe. And then we just live our lives from there without the anticipation, without the acknowledgement that at any moment his second coming could take place. We're currently living or should be living in a time of preparation. Just as Israel was called to prepare themselves for that first advent, you and I right now, the church and the whole world literally, needs to be prepared for that second advent when he comes as judge of the whole world. He's not going to come as a, as a baby, meek and mild. John Wesley, back in the 1700s, wrote a, a hymn some of you might be familiar with. Some of the words of that hymn were, Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, 
Look upon a little child. Pity my simplicity. Suffer me to come to thee. O Lamb of God, I look to thee. Thou shalt my example be. Thou art gentle, meek, and mild. Thou wast once a little child. Yeah, once a little child. But the unfortunate thing through all eight of the verses that Wesley wrote in that song, Jesus remained a child. He never grew up to the fullness. It was all about the young Jesus, about the baby Jesus. We sing a song today, very familiar probably to every one of us. Away in a manger, no crib for his bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep in the hay. Well, the cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Who said no crying he makes? He was a baby. He was a human baby. (laughs) Crying is not a sin. Crying is saying, hey, I'm hungry, or uh, hey, uh, I made a mess. Who's going to take care of this? (laughs) Sorry, he was Jesus, but he was human too, okay? He says, I love thee, Lord Jesus. Look down from the sky. Stay by my cradle till morning is nigh. Unfortunately, many in the world, and way too many within the church, continue to keep this Jesus in that same way. They, he, he remains as a baby, meek and mild, or perhaps some have allowed him to grow up, and unfortunately, they leave him on the cross, continually crucified. Beloved, he was crucified once and for all for our sin. Never need to be crucified again. It is a completed work. He is now a risen Savior, and he's not coming again, babe in a manger, as a suffering servant, as that perfect sacrifice for man. No, when he comes again, he's coming as the reigning king. He's coming as a judge of the whole world. So my question is, is have you made preparation? Have you made preparation? Number one, do you know him? Do you know that your sin is forgiven? Do you know that if, and, or not if, but when he comes, you'll be ready for his coming? Are you prepared for it? Can you imagine somebody showing up at your house to make tamales and you come up and, oh, well, I haven't started yet. I haven't cooked the meat yet. I haven't even gone out to buy the masa yet. No, we don't have any corn husk. I heard they're sold out here in town. You wanted to make tamales, but nobody made preparation for it. The, the people would say, oh, forget it. I'm going to go someplace else. When Jesus comes, have you made preparation? He is coming again. When King Solomon wrote Psalm 72, turn over there with me if you would. We read this also this morning, at least the first few verses. When he wrote that psalm, he wrote it uh, actually uh, about himself as the king and about the king's son. But what Solomon probably didn't understand is he was actually writing with a deeper prophetic meaning, way, way deeper than anything Solomon could ever accomplish. You see, fact is, is none of the things here in this psalm have yet to happen, nor, nor even could take place completely with an earthly king, no matter how good of a king they were. It's only in the coming of that great king eternal where we find the scenario being completely fulfilled. And just as the prophetic setting of Isaiah 11, here in Psalm 72, Solomon wrote of a future time of enduring and lasting peace. He wrote that that peace would last as long as the sun and the moon endured 
throughout all generations. That hasn't happened yet, has it? We look at Psalm 72, he says, again, the, the mountains, uh, verse 3 says, the mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy. He will break in pieces the oppressors. They shall fear you as long as the sun and the moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing like showers that water the earth. In his days, the righteous shall flourish and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him, and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Beloved, that hasn't happened yet. I don't know if you've noticed or not. Actually, the world is against Christ. It seems like with every year, it gets more and more that way. And the line is being, becoming drawn more and more defined and clear. No earthly king is going to bring all of this about. Solomon, no matter how wise he was, could have done all of this. I believe that Psalm 72 clearly speaks about the millennial reign of Christ, that thousand-year reign of Christ that follows immediately after his second coming. In the same way, and in reference to the, the, the same time frame as what we see here in Psalm 72, it was Isaiah who wrote there in chapter 11 those words that says that a wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, and their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw just like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Let me ask you, how many of you are ready right now to let your young child play in, the, in, a, in a snake's nest or near, near, near the hole of a, of a snake? No. Why? Because this hasn't taken place yet. Oh, but Messiah has come. Yes, he came as a suffering servant, the sacrifice. But he will come again as the reigning king. And in his reign, there will be that peace. There will be that enduring peace. I'm sorry, but I don't care who the king or who the president might be, whether he's Republican, Democrat, Independent, or Green. It's not humanly possible for a human king to do this. It's truly a God thing, and only he can and will bring about that day that follows this great judgment. And again, that kind of peace comes only after, as Psalm 72 declares, when he comes, he will judge people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people in the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people after he saves the children of the needy and breaks into pieces the oppressors. The problem is the first advent, and it's not really a problem, but it's just the reality of it. At the first advent, he didn't break into pieces the oppressors. The oppressors crucified him. So you see, there's got to be that second coming. Have you made preparation? Are you ready for that? Are you living your life today with an anticipation of the second coming of Christ? 
Oh, I believe in the rapture of the church. I believe that at any moment, at any day, we could be taken out of here. And you know what? For you and I that, that, uh, that know Christ, there's no prophecy that needs to take place prior to the rapture of the church. But you know what? Along with the rapture, after that does come the second coming. And so are you ready for the taking of the church? And do you know that those loved ones, uh, those family members, those neighbors, those co-workers, are they prepared for that second coming? Truly, his coming is second coming is exactly as John the Baptist declared as we looked at in Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist declared these words, that his winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You see, the judgment is coming. Baby Jesus, meek and mild, was only in that crib for a short time. He offered himself as a sacrifice already. That's a done deal. He comes this next time, as John says, with that winnowing fork in his hand. John the Baptist came as that voice of one crying in the wilderness. He came out crying out to the people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He cried out and declared, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And as you can imagine, that wasn't a very popular message. By and large, people don't like to have the status quo messed with. Change at any time for anyone is, it usually kind of sets them off kilter. People don't want to be put on the spot, particularly by some shaggy-haired, clothed-in-camel-skin, locust-breath prophet. But you know what? Even if he's got a suit and a tie on, people don't like to hear those kinds of things. Most people don't want to be pushed into making preparations. As a matter of fact, these spiritual preparations, you can't push anyone. You can't force them to make preparation. The message needs to be declared. The importance of the message, the reality of the truth of his coming, and the reality and the truth of the coming of judgment, that needs to be made, that needs to be declared. But by and large, people don't want to stop long enough to recognize that their lives are a mess that they're living in sin, that they've made bad choices, that they've not lived up to their commitments, that they've cut God out of their lives and they're living totally for the flesh. People don't want to be reminded of that. People don't want those sins pointed out in their lives. But you know what? It's when we recognize our sin that we realize our great need for a Savior. It's when we recognize that in our sin there is great consequences to our sin. Perhaps it most often here in this present world, but for certain in the world that's yet to come. And God has taken upon himself through sending Christ in human flesh those eternal consequences for our sin. But until people realize, hey, I am a sinner in great need of a Savior, until they recognize that fact, they'll never call on Christ to forgive their sin. Oh, I just want a loving God. I want a baby Jesus, meek and mild. I want the the friend of sinners. I don't really need the sacrifice. Yes, you do. We all do.
At one point in history, an incredible and unimaginable event occurred. Heaven came down to earth in the form of a tiny baby and stayed long enough to change the world. As we celebrate the birth of our Savior this Christmas season, may you allow the love and joy that was wrapped up with Him to fill your heart and spill over to those you love. If you'd like to listen again to today's message or discover other teachings by Pastor David, you can do so at theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast to have updated messages as soon as they're available. Right now, Pastor David has a special message to share with you. Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, this holiday season, I'd like to take a moment to remind all of us of the people around us that may be looking at Christmas from a different perspective. You know, sadly, there's many that don't have a happy family to celebrate with, and depression can pretty much overshadow every part of the festivities. Many people don't know the joy that Jesus can bring them. I'd like to encourage you to pray for everyone you might encounter and be open to sharing the hope that surrounds the true reason for this season. If you too are among those who don't see the merriment of this holiday, please know that all of us here at The Open Word are praying for you. May Jesus fill you with inexplicable joy today. Thanks for listening today to The Open Word. We pray you've been encouraged today and that you'll join us again. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas, everyone.